Hi, and welcome to Healthy Distractions, a show about two Marvel fanboys on Marvel's payroll who occasionally talk about other stuff that isn't Marvel. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. And welcome to the new year. And we thought for our first episode of the new year, we'd talk about our favorites of 2017. Before we get started listing our rankings, I thought I could mention, I can do my two honorable mentions. Um, the, the first two films I wanted to talk about as uh, a quick honorable mention slash comic book adjacent were Star Wars Last Jedi and Blade Runner. And those are just two of my favorite films from last year. They're two films where I initially walked out of being like, what the fuck did I just watch? But then they lingered, and they took hold of me in a good way. And so I was very impressed with them. Um, I'm not going to go into details, because that's a different episode for a different time. But yeah, those two films definitely worked for me. I also think the thing that I liked that they both had in common were the main protagonist was a nobody. And I mean that in a good way. How you find out Ray, her parents were just some drunks in Jakku, and you find out Kay is not the chosen one or the prophesized robot leader, he's just a cop. <laughs> and I really, really, really appreciate that. Having grown up on Luke Skywalker and Harry Potter and Neo, and always being the one prophesized to be the most important person in the world, this is a good change of pace. And the film's also deeply affected me. There were some things about each of these movies that I liked. With Blade Runner, I think they did a great job with the set, the scenery where it took place. Overall, I personally was underwhelmed with Blade Runner. I think I was expecting a lot more. I don't know what I was expecting, but I expected more than I got. That being said, you know, it was too long too. You know, I think if it was shorter, a little bit more condensed, I would have walked away happier. Well, you're in luck. You're in luck because Ridley Scott completely agrees with you. <laughs> Good. He said he said the same thing. He should. <laughs> So that's my take on Blade Runner. And then for Star Wars, again, I was underwhelmed. Porgs. I... <laughs> those porgs, man. That was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, that... Um, I liked that they took a chance. I liked that they're taking the franchise in a new direction. And I can appreciate that. The execution. But it, the execution was poor. I Again, I thought it was too long. I thought... It jumped around a lot, and I thought they could have made it a more concise story. I also think that they tried too hard to give everyone their due. Um, and the CGI, again, was just really bad. Really? Um, oh, I mean, I didn't have a problem with the CGI for, for, for Last Jedi. Uh, well, I mean... Are you talking about just the, the, like, can, the Canto Bite stuff? The Canto Bite, the casino scene with those those weird the, horses. The space horses. The Porgs even were kind of shitty CGI. Those are puppets. Um, you dick. Were they really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, they looked terrible. Because <laughs> they're puppets. <laughs> oh. Um, no. But, I, but I, overall, yeah. I think that... I think they could have done a lot better. I don't... Like, the whole Finn stuff, Finn and Rose stuff. Rose was a weird character. Almost seemed like forced, uh, forced representation or forced diversity. Right. You know, actually, really quickly to touch on Rose... I sort of had to, had to like reconcile with my own like I I'm always very critical of like alt right fuckboys who dismiss these movies because there's too many women or too many minorities. So I'm like, oh my god, am I like averse to her just because of like because we're casting? But it's like no, I mean I think that actress is is a really good actress, but she's just given like some of like the worst dialogue and like including the prequels that just felt it just it's just it's so something awkward. Like I don't know any actress that could sell those lines. Yeah. And so I don't really fault her, just more like what they did with the character. Mm -hmm. And so maybe J.J. Abrams can turn her and things around for people who weren't a fan of this movie. Uh, but I totally get like why it's... 
I don't want to say divisive because I think that's being thrown around too much. But I think the majority is like it's there's people like me who I I really dug it. This flaws and all, I really dug it. I think the flip side of that is like where you're coming from, where it just it just didn't connect, and I totally get that. Yeah, and I think one good showing of a movie is am I bored or not? You were bored. And <laughs> I was very bored during the Last Jedi. It just didn't seem like it went anywhere. And I think we discussed too the whole Battlestar Galactica um, of the new order, the aspect of the new order constantly chasing them through hyperspace. Cool aspect. I just again, I think the execution was poor. Scenes here or there were very miss, such as the Leia scene where she's you know using the Force to fly back to the ship, or the the casino scene with the horses, or even Benicio del Toro, who was great. That character itself was great, but the execution or the story around that character was poor. And the, then the final idea, the idea of the character worked, just not that yeah. And then the excuse. final part of that whole Finn story, where you have BB-8 and AT Walker, um, you have Phasma versus Finn. That was completely underwhelming and almost like a disrespect to Phasma, who we thought was going to have her moment to shine in this movie. But yeah, anyway, so that that's my take on it. Maybe we can actually jump into what we were going to talk about. Well, as a, as a, as a audio medium, people can't see the fucking veins poking at my head right now. We'll seem to you break this film. I figure we could do, we, we could probably do a whole episode of like you just making points and me going, well, actually Matt, actually, if you read the subtext, actually the last thing I just wanted to say, the, the reason I even brought these films up was because especially like, especially with the last Jedi, I like the fact that to me, I like that. I think the message behind it, is what really resonated, and that's it's summed up in the scene with like Luke and Yoda, where Yoda's like, "The burden of masters is watching our students grow beyond us," and I think that that's what this whole series is shaping up to be: is trying to grow beyond the original trilogy, for better or worse. And they're 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 stumbling along the way there, but overall, I'm very happy with the most most of the direction. So yeah, those films really worked for me. But I just want to briefly touch on those. So thank you for allowing me this quick venue. So without further ado, do you want to get into 2017? Let's look back at 2017. With the fond, fond memories of what a great year that was. Actually, at least for movies it was. For, for, especially for comic book movies, I think it was a great year. So, Matthew, what was your least favorite 2017 comic movie? Justice League. Interesting. Is it interesting, though? No, we'll get into it. <laughs> what was yours? My least favorite was Kingsman 2, The Golden Circle. Okay. Kingsman was actually my second to least favorite, right okay. after Justice So you want to, do you want to get into Kingsman? Let's get into Kingsman. Okay, you go first. So, I think that, as a movie, I think Kingsman was really fun. It resonated well, it was a good cast, the story was simple, and it was a little out there. It was James Bond... Before Daniel Craig. Well, like I rated our Roger Moore movie. Yeah. And I think the first Kingsman really resonated for those reasons. It was a little out there, and the new James Bond movies have kind of shifted away from that, and this kind of took up the mantle. So with Kingsman 2, I think they were trying to still figure out where they stand in the spy genre. And I think they pushed it a little bit further on the ridiculousness scale. And it, it wasn't even like the metal dogs. And um, no, the, the weird stuff. Like those, that, the, that's the good stuff. The villain, uh, what's her, I forget, Julian Moore, Moore 
um, even Charlie. I don't know who, what his the actor's name is. Um, and then the metal, the robot dogs. That that was all great. I didn't mind that. The ridiculous part of what I didn't enjoy was like the really bad CGI and the ridiculousness of some of the action scenes. I the very opening car chase never felt real to me. When I think of a great car chase, I think of James Bond, Daniel Craig in Skyfall, I think, when they're driving through Italy. I think of Spectre. Spectre. Sorry. He's driving through Italy. That feels like a real car chase. Or even in Quantum of Solace when they open open up on the cliff. And I'm trying to think of a non-James Bond movie that had a great car car chasing scene. Like the Jason Jason films, like Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne. So... It was so CGI'd and just so ridiculous that it really took me out of the movie almost immediately. And that was the opening scene. See, and like for me, that's something that bothered me. I think so, so my take was I also was underwhelmed by this film. The CGI doesn't bother me less so much as the actual... Well, just like the actual missed opportunity. Like, the fact that they, like, they sort of box themselves in. And really, it just comes down to Comforth. Like, as much as I like him, he's no, there's no reason to bring him back. He doesn't bring anything anything to his movie, and there was really an, a disappointment in the use of the American Kingsman. Even though it was Pedro Pascal, right, who played yes, Pedro Pascal's character was great, and we actually got to see him. We got exposed to him, but but, pl- but we didn't see enough. Like they advertised this movie with Channing Tatum, and I really expected to see more Channing Tatum and more Halle Berry. Uh, the one thing that this movie did very well was the whole Mark Strong death scene. That was actually really emotional. Well, and him in general, like they gave him, they gave him a, gave him a great send off and lots of material to work with. Exactly. So I think they did a few characters here and what well. Exe, it was unnecessary for him to be getting married. Um, there's just a few things in here that were just that seemingly fell flat, and I think it took away from the story. It really took me out of the movie. But the two some of the two, the two main points that I want to say are. The CGI and then some of the action scenes were just a little bit too ridiculous. And then the third point would be the lack of, like you said, chasing down the opportunities that they had. Right. I think it was, um, to me, like the biggest flaw of this film, or like the, like the, what made this f- uh, film seem fatally flawed was it's, it's a redundant sequel. Like the first movie felt fresh and new and like a breath of fresh air and... Like like a really like a healthy infusion into like the action genre to the spy genre, and this like a lot of that is just lost, and it just seems uh, repetitive. And I like I don't care about like the personalized of these characters. Like this is supposed to be like kind of like fluff movies, and they just go through these pains to like to explain why Colin Firth is back. And like you were like you were saying about the Statesman, it's like they explain it and they do nothing with it. And it's like so why are you watching this? Why are you watching anything that's going on? So yeah, it just didn't work for me, and like I I liked it in the moment, but like the second I left the theater, I just everything, nothing stayed with me. Yeah. Okay. So what was your next least favorite movie? I think you and I are mostly on the same page here. Uh, my la- my my next one is Justice League. Okay. And why is that? There's a lot to say, but is there actually? I take that back. I think like with Batman, Batman versus Superman, that that movie is so egregious for so many different reasons that have been covered by so many different people. So we don't need to get into it here. But like Justice League, to me, there's just nothing there, and it's like it could, I guess it could have been worse, but it's just like it's a nothing film. It's the culmination of like a mismanagement of DC, and despite you know, 
yeah, moments here and there, like where I go, I went, oh, okay, okay. It just nothing comes together. It's inoffensive, and also forgettable, like Kingsman Two. I agree. Uh, as you guys, as the listeners, and as you already know, we'll find out. I'm kind of a DC hater, but I still look forward to these movies to hopefully see a good movie. Uh, I still like superheroes, so to me, I think you're. I think you're selling, selling yourself short, though, because like. I think you like you're you're in, you're in sync with like just good taste. Like you like the Christopher Nolan movies. You even like the the old Batman movies. Oh yeah, I'm I'm but for the most part I'm a DC hater just because you're a DC fan. So oh right, that's I forgot that's that's what we're doing. That's okay. <laughs> okay, okay, I fucked up. Okay, I completely forgot. We had this conversation. I'm so sorry. Um, no, but I just don't resonate with the DC characters as much as I do with the Marvel characters. Right, and I'm the opposite. And yes. you're the opposite. I'm. Um, so when I looked at Justice League, I was looking forward to seeing how these characters interact. None of these actors really looked like they wanted to be there. And the dialogue and the conversations, they felt awkward. The story really went nowhere. It was another end-of-the-world plot, which it's not their fault necessarily, but the way that it was executed, Steppenwolf needed three boxes and like... For the unity. For the unity, and it was just—it <laughs> was just forced. It felt rushed. Uh, Wonder Woman, who should have been the star and the leader of the show, was the one who was babysitting the entire cast. It's a complete mismanagement of all the characters. Mismanagement of the characters. Batman was not who he was supposed to be. Wonder Woman, who was not who she was supposed to be. Aquaman was just looking good and acting like a bro. So it never really came together. And I I think, for me personally, there weren't... This is why it's my least favorite movie, comic book movie of last year. I actually didn't even... I can't even remember, like, a part or a scene of the movie that stuck with me to the point where I'm like... Oh, yeah, that was cool. It was really... I think it was really bad. I think, to, to, to sum it up, basically, Justice League is a representation of, like, all things... That people people who hate comic movies and hate the genre, Justice League is the perfect representation of that, unfortunately. And in 2017, there's no excuse for it to be for that to be the case. In a way, though, I, <laughs> quick side note: I don't know if you saw in uh, there was a petition or there was a, there is a, a protest outside of Warner Brothers Studios today. Oh, I didn't see that for releasing the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Oh my god! Thirteen people showed up. <laughs> <laughs> they take a photo. I completely died inside, and uh, actually, now that I think about it, I don't want to read comics or see movies ever again, and I'm going to be an adult. I think you were there, weren't you? Um, yes, yeah, so I was. I was. I was. I was wearing the Jason Momoa bodysuit, United Seven. But yeah, it's just because because there. I, I know, like after I saw this movie, I'm like, well, maybe you know, Zack Snyder for all of his like for his bad choices. I at least he would made a, made a complete film, but it's like I just don't care, like. Let's just fucking flashpoint this thing and get on with and it. And I and I think that's a fair point to make. I don't think it would have been a good movie regardless. But you should have just give let Jack Snyder release his film or let Josh Whedon redo the whole thing. It shouldn't have been this mixed match of two very different directors or, or just, storytellers. Or just don't release it and don't experience that humiliation. Exactly. But anyways, we won't hamper too much on Justice League. And when we're we're going by least favorite, but it's really like, for me personally, after these two Kingsman and Justice League, I've li- I like all the next movies a lot. 
so it was really hard to rank these next movies. Okay. Um, so I would think I would say so. My bottom on my list is Justice League, then Kingsman, and then I would actually probably say that Guardians Two, Guardians of the Galaxy Two, is my next least favorite, but still a great movie. Okay. My next choice is Spider-Man: Homecoming, a movie I really liked, but. It comes at the at the bottom of like the next things or next movies I'm going to talk about. Okay. After Guardians, for me, I would say that it is Wonder Woman. Okay, for me, after that is actually Guardians Two. Okay. So why did you hate Guardians Two so much? <laughs> I actually really loved Guardians Two. Uh, it's really hard for me to put it down on so far down on my list of favorite movies last year, comic book movies last year. So similar to Wonder Woman. And this is why these are kind of close together. I think Guardians open very strongly. I think for the first, basically, two-thirds of the movie, I thought it was a really great movie. You introduce the Sovereign. You introduce... You bring Nebula back and make her have an impact. We see a lot of Yondu. Get a brief glimpse into the backstory of the Ravagers and why Yondu is alone. And that's where we see Sylvester Stallone's character. And then we find out that we got what we wanted. Peter, we, we finally know what Peter's heritage or his origin is. We know that he's a celestial or the descendant of a, uh, the, the child of a, a celestial. I would say that it started dying down. When the movie finally reveals his hand, that's when like you lost a little interest. I think that's fair to say. I would say that basically up until... Ego Kurt, reveals. Ego, ego reveals his whole plan. And it just felt forced. It's like, well, we need to tell... We need Pete, We need to give Peter a reason to turn on his father. So let's have his father reveal that he actually killed his mother. And I think like that When goes, it was kind of unnecessary. Right, I think that goes to what you were talking about before, how, like with Blade Runner, or no, with, like with The Last Jedi, how they just it just... Either you were bored or just it took you out of the movie. And like that's one thing that just took you out of the movie. Yeah. But even the final fight with uh, Ego and Peter, that was really fun. I actually really enjoyed the fight. Right, they bring the energy levels back. They now. bring it back. It closes strong. I really wish they hadn't killed off Kurt Russell. I think it could have been a really great villain for Marvel to continue going forward. And that's another reason why I put it so low is that it falls into the same villain trap. Disposable villain. Disposable villain. That being said, I still really loved the movie and I still really enjoyed it. And like I said, it had its it it had its moments. And then the reveal at the end where we'll, we'll see Adam Warlock was another was another like positive thing. Right. I mean, somebody made this other point in their analysis about how I mean, these movies have always been about family, which is like what separates them not just from the other Marvel films, but like other sci-fi space operas. Um, like yes in Star Wars there's like the familial familial dynamic in, in soap opera but this is like very much a different take on like what it actually means to be a family and how in that opening scene the whole point of that scene with like baby Groot dancing around uh, somebody made the point that like that's that's them all being parents to Groot in their own different ways <laughs> like throughout the fight like they stop doing what they're fighting to like make sure he's okay like Rocket like gets, makes him spit the bug out and like that's sort of like the theme throughout the whole film is what it actually means to be a family. So that's why this film definitely resonated with me, um, despite despite being clunky in some areas, which I, I do agree with. And I think one of the things you were probably going to touch on it too is that after Guardians 1, 
you said you wanted to see more Nebula and more Yondu. And to that wish, and I think to the, the joy of a lot of fans, we got to see Nebula's backstory, why she was such a bitch, I guess, in the first one. And we got to see Yondu and understand why he actually took Peter to begin with. Right, it's like it's a testament to James Gunn um, that he gives so much care consideration to these characters uh, that, they, that they're all really important to him. And I think that that comes to life on screen. So, yeah, I mean, I had a really good time with this movie. But I can see why it's like it's lower on your list compared to the other films we're going to talk about. Yeah. Or also low on my list compared to the other films we're going to talk about. Okay. So right now my list, I think, is starting from the bottom is Justice League, Kingsman, Guardians 2, Wonder Woman. And then I think my next one is probably Spider-Man Homecoming. So I think we can talk about Spider-Man. Uh, yes. So what is one of the reasons why it's lower on your list? Well, this film, I mean, it's sort of like with Guardians 2 where this, I, I loved I had a great time with it. I loved everything about it. But it's more just that the other films we're going to talk about uh, hit me more. But this still was, it really was a homecoming. Like, it felt like, like Spider-Man's back in good hands. And everything about it just, was, just worked for me. And I know you love the original two Spider-Mans with Tobey Maguire, one and two. Would you say that this is a better version of Spider-Man than that? I would make an argument that actually... Because I can't stop talking about Last Jedi. <laughs> but it's like, the reason like why that movie worked for me so much is because where I'm at, my, where I'm at in my life right now, that just connects more than, than like previous like Star Wars movies. And where I'm at in my life right now, seeing this version of Peter Parker is perfection. I, I think Tom Helen totally sells it. He actually looks like he should be in high school. So from a pure like aesthetic point of view, that works. And the fact that like they reminded me why I love this character so much. And the fact that they give such a you know a good cast of characters to surround him with, then and they don't rely on classic Spider Man stuff that we're all familiar with just to coast by. Like Amazing Spider Man, which we could do, do a fucking week long episode is about why those films are just terrible. But they just but for like those films, it's like, oh, it's Gwen Stacy. You're just supposed to know who this person is and like her. Whereas in this movie, it goes through pains to like really flesh out. Like Ned, for example. Like, I fucking love Ned. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great character, and I want to see more of Ned. I was like, I never thought like, you know, a, a psychic character in a Spider-Man reboot for the third time they've done this would be a compelling character, but here we are. And I think we're in agreement we're in agreement of another aspect of the film, which is Michael Keaton. Yeah. I think this is why it's so high. See, uh, to your point, I think this was a near-perfect movie. This is the Spider-Man that I've always wanted. He's the high school kid who has high school kid problems, and he's just a nerd who... He's also likable. And he's likable, but he's a nerd who just got these amazing powers. It's like, that's that was my that would have been my dream growing up. Right. And being able to see this come on screen, this is one of the reasons why it was such a good movie. Um, just a... I'll, quickly touch on the only thing that I would complain about would be the final battle. It would not even be when the plane crashes. It's just when they're on the plane. Uh, he doesn't have Tony Stark's suit, the Spider-Man suit, and he should probably clearly have been fucking dead, been dead or like flown off the plane. Cause he shouldn't have been able to grip it, but that's a small thing. It didn't, take me out of the movie like other movies the action scenes like in guardians or in kingsman it didn't take me out of the movie because it was so brief it happened and then we got to see the scene where they're fighting on the ground on the beach and that made up for it right i think that that in in that particular instance that's just something that like 
these films can't help themselves where like when you're in the when you're in the writing process like well we have to, we have to constantly elevate the stakes so now he has to be on a plane and da 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 but then I agree like it's so brief that like okay now we get back to like them on the beach and like the emotional tension and like this yeah. like the comp- actual real conflict like that's the good stuff yeah and the I think one of the best scenes is Michael Keaton sitting in the car with Peter Parker the second he realizes that Peter is Spider-Man and you see the, the the traffic lights reflecting on his face. No, that's why he's like one of the best. He just sells it completely. Villain-wise, this is one of Marvel's top villains. It might be their top, and actually, it was not to continually reference things, but like on the Weekly Planet podcast, they made the point that actually he's the only villain who's actually has been in the right completely. It's like, yeah, I mean, he is stealing, but it's like, compared to like the corruption, the corruption and murder of Tony Stark, it's like, he really is like, I, it's completely justifiable yeah. in this context. And he did get screwed over, right? I mean, he started a company to help clean up the cities after these destructions, and they took that away from him. So but so aside from motive, it they executed the look of the vulture amazingly. Like, he looked great. He looked scary. He was, like, he's terrifying. And yeah, then yeah. he's still alive, and then the whole, even the whole ending... When Scorpion walks up to him, he's like, so I know here you know the identity of Spider-Man. And the way he ends it is like, if I knew the identity, you'd think he'd still be alive. Like, right, like, and, that really, and that really informs the character like, and gives him more, even more depth than we thought previously, that, he, that the movie already went through pains to give him. Yeah. So I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, and to your point, like with Vulture, not just like, I mean, Vulture works on so many levels, but to me, like, it's indicative of the rest of the film. Like, this film just slides gently into the rest of the MCU. Yeah. Like, it felt like, oh, yeah, Peter, of course Peter's been living in this world this entire time. That totally makes sense. And, like, it's the Marvel touch. Yeah. And, yeah, it was... It, and also, I will say, Guardians had one of the best openings, but to me, Homecoming had one of the best endings with Aunt May finding out he's Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> and just, like, I was hysterical when I saw that. That me too. Anyway, so Spider-Man is next on my list. What about yours? For me, it is going to be Thor Ragnarok. Ooh, okay, that's low. Okay, so my so just to repeat my list again because I'm losing my mind. Right now, my least favorite is Justice League, followed by Kingsman, Kingsman Guardians, Guardians Two, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, and then this is a tough one, but I'm saying. Logan. Uh, my next one is actually Logan. So I have Logan as number two. You have it as number... I also have it as number two. As number two, okay. Yeah. Oh, so we finally match on <laughs> we're, fi- we're finally in sync. Why is Logan your number two? For Logan, it's one of those things where I'm not trying to be militant about this, but like I put it on par with like The Dark Knight of being like something, something that elevates the genre. But I don't want to see another one of these films for a while. Like I don't need to see... A grim, tar- a grim, dark take on another beloved superhero at the end of their last legs. It just, for Logan, like, everything just sort of synced together. Like, there's the actual story, and then there's, like, the meta context of Hugh Jackman. This is his, He's been doing this character for 17 years, and he's done. And this is his last hurrah. And so, as they see that play out on screen... Until Avengers. Until Avengers. God damn it. <laughs> so, to see that play out, and to see that him literally, like, leave nothing on the table, and just give this very raw, visceral performance of a character that, like, I've always liked, but never thought... And I think even Hugh Jackman agrees, he, he never felt like he got his due with this character. And he's like, okay, Hugh Jackman, here's your, here's, here's your canvas, do whatever you want. And to me, he puts his money where his mouth is. 
and once again, it's it's the emotional component of him and his daughter and how he deals with that and how that eventually pays off that really resonated with me and like left me feeling like numb in a good way afterwards. Yeah. I'm pretty much on the same page. One of the different aspects that I'll take is I loved the characters that they chose for this movie. I think Caliban was a great choice. Uh, it was a small character, one that's not really like, I guess it's, it's the, one of the lesser known mutants in the X-Men world. Right. You have an old, crazy, senile Professor X. Played brilliantly. Played played brilliantly. And you have Logan. And then you have X-23, who that little girl was great. This was a phenomenal debut, film debut for her. And I really hope that she gets her due in another, frankly, an X-23 movie. Right, and it's like, and you normally, I mean, normally kid actors, they just don't do it for me. But, like, I don't see how anybody else could have played that role. Like, her chemistry with Hugh Jackman was phenomenal. Like, when they're in the car bitching at each other back and forth, it's like, this is a real family. And then when she starts yelling at him in Spanish, you're like, holy shit. It was hysterical. No, and then, yeah, and she has, like, she's a real charisma and, and real talent. Yeah. And so the reason why I don't have it as number one, which I think, by the powers of deduction, everyone can figure out what my number one is. But the only thing that took me out of this movie would be the clone Wolverine, X-24, I think he actually is. Right. I get it. I get the whole concept and idea of him. He is Logan without the nurture side. He's basically, like, in his purest, ragiest form, that would have been Logan. He's basically looking at, this is who I would have been, Without all of my past and all of my without history. his family, without the, the X Men family, without the X Men family, so I get it. That's not the issue. But it do just, you get it? I think it just took me out of it because it was just a little weird. I didn't think it was necessary. It was jarring. It was jarring. I was a little surprised. Now, for you though, for X twenty four, does the ending bother you in terms of like him being there or? Did the ending bother you in terms of, like, the big set piece? Was it too much of, like, a... Was it too over the top? Or was it was he the only thing that, that bothered you about, like, that, that that final action scene? If anything, if anything bothered you about it at all. You know, it's funny. I actually think he was better in the final action scene than he was in the middle of the movie. That's why it's still my number two movie. Like, it was fine. But it could... I think they could have just done without it. I think also... No, and I, once again, it's, it goes to the whole of, like, the continuing theme of these films we've been talking about is being taken out of the film, and it's, like, it's an unfortunate, it's unfortunate when it happens, but it does happen, and it can still, like, ruin the flow for you. And just like Spider-Man, it was instantaneous. Like, it didn't ruin the rest of the movie for me. It jumped right back in after I was taken out, so. And the ending was perfect, I think, for, for Logan. For Logan, yeah. so. To me, like all the life, last thing I want to talk about briefly about Logan is it also is a it's a western and it definitely works out like it flat out just says during the middle of the movie that it's a western and so I'm a sucker for that for that genre and, but to see it play out on this canvas with a superhero, right, right, with with a superhero who's no longer super really was just like I originally made the comparison to the Dark Knight and I think that's an apt comparison because it takes this character and the genre to a place it hasn't gone before. We've never had, we've never experienced an on-screen hero die in the, in the, in the, in that way before. Like literally, like they strip him bare, and he's not the Wolverine we of uh, yesteryear. Uh, he's like emotionally and physically depleted, 
and it's just it was such an incredible payoff at the end. And Hugh Jackman, like I said, I think he he gave it his all. And I mean, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself, but like I think I would hope he he's at least acknowledged in some awards ceremony for his performance, along with the rest of this movie. That brings us to our number one movies of last year. Mine is Thor. I know you brought you mentioned Thor already on your list. It was a little further down. So, confession, I did not like this movie the first time I saw it. Neither did I. We saw it together. We, we saw were, it together. We, were not we weren't. <laughs> we were not sold. And I think it was just there was probably a mixture of being overwhelmed. There was a lot of hype and a lot to take in. And with a lot of these newer movies, especially these space or these superhero movies that are taking place in basically other planets where there has to be an excessive amount of CGI, we were kind of thrown off by the excessive amount of CGI. It just like it becomes bludgeoning at a point. Yes. That being said, after the third or fourth viewing, whatever, I love this movie. And I think it's finally the Chris Hemsworth Thor that I want to see on screen. It was one of the best Hulks that we've seen throughout the MCU. No banner. No banner. The introduction of Valkyrie was a great introduction. And we finally saw them almost acknowledge some of the flaws with the previous Thor movies. Example being, they're in the elevator. It's like, oh, or when Loki goes to betray him and Thor is basically saying, like, brother, you're... It's you like, don't change like I get it it's You're, so boring it's so boring just stop it <laughs> and and I think it plays to their strengths and to have Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster and Hulk talk like Hulk being almost an intellectual being himself well, a character a character that's one of the things I've wanted to see since I've read Planet Hulk the comic and even though it was a completely different story from Planet Hulk it was one of the best things that I've seen and then Korg, a.k.a. Taika Waititi... The, the new MVP of the Marvel Universe. ...was fucking fantastic. He was so funny. Every I've every time I've watched it, it every line he's dropped has been funny. The right. timing is great. E- even though, like, you know, the punchline, his delivery is, is impeccable. It's perfect. Right. And I think that was one of the things that bothered me originally was that it relied too much on humor. Like, there was humor everywhere... It never really felt like there were going to be consequences or stakes. or stakes because of all the humor. But I think it was actually laid in there throughout the movie very well. Seeing Thor without his hammer was a great play. When he gets all lightninged up at the end fighting Hela, I thought that was one of the best things. I still think some of Hela's CGI was a little bit iffy, but it doesn't take me out of the scenes or the movie or the movie as a whole. Fucking CGI Nazi over here. And Hella was great. Kate Blanchett, fucking great. Like, and it Kate, looked like she was having fun. Kate Blanchett turned up to 11. But yeah, so those are some of the reasons why it was my favorite. Hulk, it was just so fun seeing them in that arena scene. So that really is your number one. That is my number one. You son of a bitch. What is your number one, Jeremy? Well, no, let me talk, I want to talk about Thor. Oh, yeah, talk about Thor. No, I absolutely love this film. I And, once, and similar to you, I, I was put off by it upon first viewing because like we were like basically like, talking about like we were nitpicking this and that and then like I don't know what clicked but like the second time I saw it and the third time I saw it <laughs> I absolutely fell in love with it I just found it incredibly charming it did everything I wanted a Thor movie to do or you know what to me like this film it put Thor on equal footing as Iron Man and Captain America 
as characters I want to see again. The first Thor movie was great, but it again, it never really resonated because you have the whole Shakespearean dialogue and you have just the ridiculousness of the gods and all this stuff. And Loki even stole the show in the first Thor. It's like Thor was a backseat character in that movie. And then you have Thor 2, which was probably the most... Thor 2 sucked. Forgetful. It just sucked. It was a pretty bad movie. It sucked, and Thor, despite Chris Hemsworth, wasn't... I mean, nobody was, like, going out to, to fucking dress it like Thor. Yeah. I think now that's changed. Yeah. I think this film is finally... They've, they've given him his due. And once again, like, to Marvel's credit, it's like, hey, this character isn't working. We, yeah. need, some, we need something different. And Taika Waititi totally gave that to them. Yeah. And so that's, like, that, I mean, that's why I was just so impressed with this film. And to their credit as well, your mention of Taika Waititi... This might be the direction that they have to take for something like a Thor. I mean, the whole concept of Thor, even like a Superman, is ridiculous. It's a god. It's you can't die. It's the way that he brought the movie together really resonates with the character and the type of character that he is. Well, to me, Thor, you know, in, in the comics, he's Thor's great, but at face value, Thor isn't very, very interesting when he's, a, when he's an unkillable god. Yeah. But Chris Hemsworth is. And they totally reconcile those two things. And uh, you finally get to see Chris Hemsworth flex his muscles, uh, comedic and actual muscles, in, in the best way possible. Yeah. And, and it really felt like his, his movie, like you were saying before, Loki had become the star of the, of the Thor show, and this firmly, firmly establishes Thor as, as, as the king. Like, yeah. Literally, and, and in, the MC, in the larger MCU. So yeah. that's why I was, I was very impressed with it. Yeah. And now, Jeremy, what's your number one? It's Wonder Woman. It's similar to like how Thor had had a very clear vision in in pre concept and they executed that vision. That's very much like Wonder Woman, where Patty Jenkins said like, "I only want to make a movie that's comparable to the first Superman movie, The Christopher Reeves, that invokes that sense of hope and optimism and wonder, pun intended, in the audience." And to me, she did. Once again, some other films we've talked about. There's, there's definitely like there, there's stumbles along the way which we'll get into, but overall it's just this is the superhero movie not just for DC but like that during this time, politics aside just just in general like I think we all need it, and it's one of those things like the other good films on our list that we've talked about where all the right things just came together, uh, Gal Gadot, it's this is like Gal Gadot, no it's it's Gadot, is it Gadot? It's Gadot. Oh then I just sound like an idiot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Like my job easy since 2016. <laughs> and she, she is she is Wonder Woman, and the way that she's embraced the role on and off screen is like really invigorating, and I think important. And the way that like you know DC, to their I guess well I think to their discredit for other films, but for this film they lean into like no we're 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 gonna go to paradise, but they're not we're not gonna blunt the superheroness of this character. Like, we're going to go to Amazon Island, or we're going to explore personality ticks and then the costume and all that stuff. Also, I'm glad that this is a feminist film, and to their credit as a feminist film, they don't do a trade-off of Steve Trevor making him like a bumbling idiot psychic. He actually has his own character arc, yet Chris Pine's given a lot to do, and he gets to shine this film, and that doesn't take away from Diana, and vice versa. So it's like, they did something that no other superhero movie has done in that regard, where the love interest actually is an active participant. So, I did like Wonder Woman. It was lower on my list. I think I said it was number four. Act one and act two of Wonder Woman were great. Everything from the start, seeing them on Paradise Island, seeing how they train, seeing her jump into the new world, meet Chris Pine, their interactions. 
her traversing no man's land, and that her one, one, the one line, as corny as it is, where Chris Pine, I think, says something like, you know, no man can cross that, and she's like, well, I'm not a man. It's like, that's a great line, and it's one of those corny lines that only certain characters can pull off, ergo, you know, Superman with, you know, some of his line, how can I help you, or... Chris Evans as Captain America saying, this isn't freedom, this is fear. Right. Like, those are corny lines that only certain characters can pull off. In the and, right context. In the right context. And Wonder Woman has that iconic moment. My, my qualm with this movie is the finale. I think the Chris Pine finale is great. They gave him his justice. Chris does really have a problem with sacrificing themselves. but With planes. With planes. He did a good job. I think even the their little group, like the the sniper, the other guy, and the Howling Commandos, the, the, the Howling Commandos, they all got their dues as well, and right. they got they got their men, they got their notices, and they felt like real characters to me. Yeah, my whole problem was Ares. It was the introduction of Ares. It was the lieutenant or uh, the German general who was being influenced by Ares. One, the whole sniffing a powder thing and getting these powers it just seemed unnecessary it was weird it was weird Ares, in my mind should have been more of a an influence well, lucifer or yeah like a lucifer rather than an actual physical being that wonder woman fights and i think the, and it feels like in the film they're, they're going in, in that direction then they go uh what we need a fight we need well, a yeah, finale let's just, let's, just, let's just play it safe and he puts on the armor and then they beat the shit out of each other yeah and it just it it wasn't the payoff that i wanted the CGI for that again. I hate to keep bringing up CGI, but it just looked really bad. No, it's, it's, it's and, weird how like in 2017, like the CGI keeps getting worse for these films, and we just don't understand it. Yeah. I love the actor, like I loved him in Harry Potter, but he just didn't feel like Ares to me. It would have been great if he was Ares in the Lucifer sense, like you said, but not in the "Let me combat you." I'm a skinny. Well, you know, you're right. Like, like they should they they should have like just picked. They should have chosen their battles wisely. Like you like. Sorry, I think you were getting this point that, like, watching him, like, in giant armor fight Wonder Woman, it's also just very weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like he's not he's not a physical actor, at least not anymore, and so to try to reconcile those two things was was weird. And Ares probably shouldn't have a mustache, let's be real. But, yeah, but Superman should. But Superman let's be, should. Let's be real. We needed Superman with a mustache. That would have probably put Justice League as my second to last movie. It's like, I love how DC's like, well, we can't have mustache. Yeah, that's the problem with this film. You're right. Okay. <laughs> but but overall, like, the whole, you know, the naivety of Wonder Woman, the optimism of Wonder Woman, right, the way Gal Gadot, she portrayed Wonder Woman, all of that was fantastic. Again, it was a great movie. It, it, just, was, it just peters out for you. It, and it peters out for me, and it took me out. And I think it would have been a better message to show that the war doesn't just end because Ares died. Like, mankind is inherently flawed. So just show that Ares is constantly influencing them. And that's it. Like, her mission is to be the hope or the symbol or to be the well, anti-Ares. The Luke Skywalker is Palpatine. Exactly. And she's there to bring the other side of it, the light to the dark. Well, no, and I think also, like, when, when we first saw this movie together... I think I know, but actually no, not just like when we first saw it together, but like having like sat in it for like for like the last few months, compared to every all the other films we've talked about, it's also a superhero origin story, something that we've seen many times before. 
So it's like as good as it was in certain places. I think like you know Thor Ragnarok is like it feels new. Spider-Man: Homecoming, it's even that feels new. So for Wonder Woman, just the reason I put it at the, at the top of my list is once again the ongoing theme with all these films is just uh, the feels. And to me, uh, this I just felt great after seeing this movie. It ends with like her, you know, jumping up into the sunset, ready to fight evil. And I feel like you know, even like a year ago, I would probably be like cynical and dismissive, be like, "Oh, this is so simplistic." The world's like the world's not black and white. As I listen to the Cure and like kick around cans, but no, but it just felt right. And like the movie had done, did so much right. I mean, I can go through the whole thing, but I'm not going to. Don't worry. <laughs> I can see you getting getting afraid to leave. <laughs> But it just felt right and iconic, and it made me feel something that I hadn't felt in a very long time. Uh, comparable to like the first Superman movie, but very much its own vehicle. And I'm very excited to see where Patty Jenkins takes the character next. They should have just let Patty Jenkins direct Justice League. It would have been ten times better. Just to get, no, not to get too off topic, but I feel like with Patty Jenkins, she's. I mean, they should just let her be like like the Kathleen Kennedy. To, or the Kevin Feige to DC in the sense of like she just has the right sensibilities because for example like the No Man's Land scene I heard she had to fight for that scene like every not just that I I heard she had to fight for like a lot of the stuff that was in this movie that like where she's like no like this is how we should be betraying the Amazonians or Diana wouldn't do this and no you know Diana would like well we shouldn't balk away from her beauty but like we shouldn't exploit her yeah and she just had the right sensibility for this character. Well, I mean, I it's the simple thing that you said before, too. It's like, Wonder Woman was clearly the heroine in this movie, but they still, she still was smart enough to give Chris Pine his moment. And the fact that he wasn't just some dumb jock or, you know, some asshole who was just trying to get laid. Well, she's not, she's not, a, babysitter, she's not a babysitter girlfriend, yeah. where that's what she is in fucking Justice in League. Justice League. Where it's like, despite Gal Gadot's best efforts, it's just like the difference between... A man directing Wonder Woman and a woman actually doing it is night and day. Yeah, I mean, I can't even remember all the ass shots that we got of Gal Gadot in Justice League. Right, and it's one of those things, too, where it just gets to the point of distracting and gross, where it's like, yeah, Jason Momoa has his shirt off, but it's it's not the same thing when you're completely just focusing on her appearance and her looks and trying to sexualize her. But, yeah, but to be this, this film, like, this is a character where just, like, because even because even before Wonder Woman, the context of the DC was before that, we've been pummeled before with like Man of Steel, Don Justice, and Suicide Squad were terrible. <laughs> so it's like I love this character, but I have zero expectations given what's come before. And, and Patty Jenkins completely exceeded yeah. and blew those expectations out of the water. And that's to Gal Gadot's and Patty Jenkins' efforts uh, to bring this character to life, and I think they absolutely succeeded. Well, that concludes our list of our favorites of 2017 and our least favorites. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. Later.